Coming up to 10 to 9, it's Money Talk uh, with James Ross and time to take our view from the US and uh, welcome back uh, to the show, uh, Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, good morning, Barry. Good evening. Good morning to you, James. Uh, nice to have you on the show, as always. And I guess, you know, the Fed minutes came out from that last uh, policy meeting uh, overnight. And um, the uh, indications were that uh, signals were that slower interest rate cuts are ahead. Fed officials offering mixed views over the timing of cutting interest rates, but most members voicing concerns about moving early. Some analysts calling it a, a hawkish tilt. Would you agree with that? Uh, Barry? Yeah, I think so, James. You can call it hawkish in as much as markets wanted an early interest rate cut. And now they're coming to the conclusion that they're not going to get it. Mm. And these minutes suggest that uh, indeed they're not going to get it. I mean, the message is rates will stay higher for longer. And probably the first interest rate cut is going to come May, June, certainly not in March. Now, as you suggest, the, uh, the members of the Federal Open Market Committee, and I think there are 13 in the last meeting, are saying, look, we want to cut rates, but uh, we don't see enough evidence that inflation is really down on the trend line that it's been on. You had those CPI and producer price index reports last week that showed somewhat higher, still in the 3% range, but the markets had hoped it would be, in the case of the consumer price index, even showing a 2.9% 12-month rise, and it did not. So, yeah, I think it's sobering, but the market seems to be able to absorb this information. I think the bottom line might be there was no real surprise in the minutes, although, as you said at the top, it was a little bit hawkish. I, I mean, interesting strategy, this is uh, everybody hanging on, obviously, the policy decisions when they come out and then the minutes when they come out a couple of weeks later. It's uh, It really strings it along. And do we actually really learn anything new out of the minutes normally? Possibly not? I think we do. Oh, OK. We certainly do four times a year. Mm. Four times a year, the members of the committee the Federal Open Market Committee, meeting in Washington, they've come in from all over the country, they issue what is called this dot plot, really are mm. just economic projections. Now, that's interesting because they can have very different perceptions of how business and the economy is doing where they are. For example, if you have the Federal Reserve chief of Minneapolis, he may see that the upper Midwest is slowing down. Whereas the Dallas Federal Reserve chairman would say, oh, my gosh, we're in the midst of a boom. Look at Austin. Look at what happened in Phoenix. So I think these dot plots, that's four times a year, uh, and that will be coming up in March, by the way. Uh, those are useful. As to these minutes, yeah, you get something. You get a little bit of flavor as to what the discussion was like. And don't forget, 20, 30 years ago, Nothing was said, even mm. that they had changed this short-term interest rate. That's amazing when you think about it. How times they have changed. They never even announced that they had changed the Fed funds rate. That's the overnight rate, which is currently at a 20-year high of 5.5%. Anyway, yeah, I think it's useful. And look, the Federal Reserve deserves very high marks 
for engineering what uh, I think you have to say is a soft landing of the U.S. economy. Give them three points. Well done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, big mega, mega merger potential um, happening in the uh, in financials, and that's Discover Financial and Capital One, which are aiming to produce a bigger rival uh, to Visa and Master in the credit card business. Uh, these names not so well known to us in this part of the world. Give us a bit of context on this, Barry. Um, you know, tell us about Discover Financial and, uh, and Capital One. Well, interesting. You know, you're ahead of us, first of all. I think that's where we have to start. China, greater China, uh, with the notable exception of Japan, is ahead of the United States and certainly even Europe in financial services and in mobile payments. Mm. So we're behind. But to answer your question, Discover was set up by Sears. Now, Sears is bankrupt. But in the 1980s, it was still a powerful retailer before it was usurped by Amazon and Walmart. Mm. And they set up the Discover card. Now, that meant that a lot of those cards went to people who were at the lower end of the income bracket. But nonetheless, it's based in Chicago. It's called Discover Financial. It was then absorbed by Dean Witter, which was a brokerage that went under, bought by Morgan Stanley. They spun it off. And that's the new Discover. But they still have, you know, what, 20 million cards that they issue. And that's what Washington or Northern Virginia-based Capital One Bank wanted. And they're getting it for $35 billion. No money. It's all in stock. But what does it do with Visa and Master and American Express? It makes this new Capital One a weak number four, but a stronger number four than it was. It's um, potentially interesting. Look, James, I think you have to look at the regulatory environment, and boy, that really applies to Alibaba in your part of the world. Look what's happened there Hmm. in the last three years. But the Congress of the United States, particularly the Democrats, want to be seen as helping the little guy, the small consumer, and they're saying, we don't like this merger. We don't like the higher credit card fees that are charged by by Visa and MasterCard, and we're certainly going to be skeptical of this merger. Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, said this is a dangerous move. So you can't assume this is all going to happen. And then again, it's still going to be, even if approved, it's going to make the number four player behind American Express, Visa, and MasterCard. So the credit card industry, is it generally seen in the U.S. as being a bit of a cartel? No, because the banks issue Visa and MasterCards. You know, Visa and MasterCard, Visa is based in San Francisco, they they make their money from the fees that they split with the banks, but they are simply that logo on the card. Mm. The card is issued by your bank, sure. and it's your bank when you pay that will be charged, and they will see if you've got enough money in your account to handle that payment and mark approved. But again... It's a very different financial system that you have in greater China because Alipay and Tencent Pay, you know, you've got so many more, a factor of 10 or more using mobile payments. 
you've got lots of different things happening in the states. You have a lot of people still paying with checks that are written to a restaurant or uh, certainly to a big purchaser. Uh, right. Because a lot of people don't want to use their credit card. Mm. A lot of people do use a debit card, which goes directly from your bank. But, you know, Capital One is a big player in that. So, you know, this is a complicated area. The Americans have a lot of competition and a lot of regulators looking at everything. Is there a paranoia then, finally, about regulation then? I think there is. Look, uh, the system works. Um, there's no problem with the system. And you've got some of the San Francisco tech companies that are very big in this. You know, Venmo, PayPal, those are big names here in the States in terms of mobile payments. And everybody wants to do like you do in China and certainly in Hong Kong. They want to be able to just either slide, right. show their card and walk out. But you're way ahead of us. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the competition is good. You've got Square, you've got uh, other companies, and I mentioned PayPal. Um, but I'm not sure the regulatory environment is up to snuff. Right. Well, let's leave it there, Barry. Uh, thank you very much. As ever, Barry uh, Wood is RTHK's international economics correspondent in Washington, D.C. On tomorrow's